Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans. The New Testament book of Romans and Romans in chapter number 14. The book of Romans and chapter number 14. We are having a very special service today as we have the 4th of July following on a Sunday morning. And of course, we want to take advantage of the idea that many of us are thinking about our country and thankful to the Lord for what God has provided for us in the country. So we wanted to take a special time to understand where did some of the beliefs and teachings, the Bill of Rights specifically, come from? Well, we understand that they were influenced by a Bible doctrine that we'll learn about today called Individual Soul liberty. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and let's look at one passage where it speaks about this doctrine in the book of Romans chapter number 14. The book of Romans chapter number 14 and if you don't mind let's look together starting at verse number 1. The book of Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1 the Word of God says this, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he may be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord doth he not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And to he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. And whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark the phrase or the verse that we find in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12? Romans 14 and verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself 
to God. So then every one of us will give account to himself to God. And with this, I want to teach to you about the biblical doctrine of individual soul liberty. And then we're going to trace this doctrine and its influence to our country to the Bill of Rights. So with this, we're going to see the doctrine of individual soul liberty and then we're going to understand the Bill of Rights. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, I'm just asking that you would give us much wisdom and much discernment. Lord, this is a big, meaty doctrine. And Lord, its influence is vast. And Lord, there's so much that could be said. I'm asking that you would just give me a clarity of mind and lead me by your spirit to say exactly what needs to be said in a way that's easy to understand, easy to grasp. Lord, again, there's so much to study on here. There's no way I could get everything done that, that could be done. But I'm asking that you would arrange it in such a way that would be glorifying to you understood by these good folks here, and that we could apply it and carry on how important this doctrine truly is in our day-to-day -day lives and dealing with other folks. Help us now, Lord, as we walk through here. Again, fill me with your presence. You do your own work now. I need you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we start, the very first thing I like to do as we examine this text in Romans chapter 14 is explain a little bit of the doctrine of individual soul liberty. The doctrine of individual soul liberty. Now, as we start off, I want you to see in Romans chapter 14 this case that has been brought to the people under the inspiration of uh, the Holy Spirit as Paul's bringing it up to the church of Rome, and he's bringing up this this dispute that is occurring. Notice with me in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him that eateth judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Let's pause here. Now what it's doing is it's giving a case that's real and that we could relate to but yet it's a small thing that we could apply. There's bigger things that people fight over. So here is a man who says listen I've read the Bible and God has determined everything is clean. So you know what? It is fine if I have me a nice ribeye steak. There is nothing wrong with a ribeye steak. He says, may I go a little bit further? It is fine with God. I am not violating anything if I eat a greasy pork chop. I understand that some people may not like it, but I can eat a greasy pork chop. And I'm fine with God. I'm not going to hell. God is not sentencing. I'm not breaking fellowship with God if I break, uh, eat a greasy pork chop. Whereas there's another one, as the Bible says, is weak in the faith, that says, listen, God originally made us to eat plants. So therefore, it's my belief that we should eat plants. And it's what I've chosen to do. And I'm fine. I don't think I should eat meat. And I definitely don't think I should take pork chops or bacon. I think my salad should be bacon-free. And it should be how I enjoy it. 
And so what happens, as we all know, that they can have the fight over whether you should be put bacon in your salad. And so they have the one super spiritual. I have the freedom to do what I want and you're just missing out in life. You, you are pathetic because you don't understand the Bible. And then you have the other one who's saying, listen, you are not as right with God as you think you are. You're taking your freedoms too far. I'm more right with God because I did it how I originally. Does this sound like an argument that people would get into? Absolutely right. And so here you have the two people that are so convinced that they're right. And there's something about human nature that we believe we're right. And therefore, if anyone variates from what we believe, they must be wrong. And there's a fight. And next thing you know, you're fighting over bacon salad while people are dying and going to hell. When there are more important things to be dealt with. And so the Bible here takes time to introduce a concept. Now it doesn't use the word individual soul liberty, but it is the concept that is being taught and is taught elsewhere in the scripture. Now before we dive into this, we have to understand where this doctrine is based off of. This doctrine is based off of another doctrine we find in the book of Hebrews. For the sake of time, I'm not turning there. But it carries the idea of the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer states that because of who God is, God has sent Jesus to die for us. And because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all of us now have equal access to God. That just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean I have a special red bat phone underneath a, a glass cover in my office that if I get a go, need to get a hold of God, I could pick it up and say, God, I need you. Or when I become a preacher, I don't get a secret calling card that 1-800-PLEASE-PRAY and it's my direct line to God. When in fact, you have as much access to God as I do. You could talk to God about anything. You could talk to God about your sins. You could go to God. That you no longer have to go through a man to get a hold of God. Every single one of us have access. Whether you're a small child or you're a senior saint. Every single one of us have equal access to God. You can go to God whenever you want and how often you want. You'll never get a busy single. You'll never get one for Spanish, two for English. You'll never get a recording. You'll never get someone on the other side that says, please hold. You could get a hold of God any time you want. Now this is a doctrine called the priesthood of every believer that every one of us have access to God. Individual soul liberty takes that doctrine and takes it a step further and states this since everyone has equal access to God here's the doctrine every person has the right and responsibility to go to God for themselves to find God's will. Again, what is that state? Individual soul liberty. Because we have access to God. And equal access to God. Every person. Listen. Has the right. And responsibility. To go to God. To find God's will for themselves. What does this mean? Well, this means that you don't have to go to a person. A man. A preacher. A priest. A pope a rabbi, to find God's will. In fact, it is your right to do so, but not only your right, your responsibility. 
You see, people don't have any problems saying, don't tell me what to do. But they do have the problem with the responsibility. You see, the end of that doctrine also states that every person has the right and responsibility to go to God for themselves to find God's will, knowing they're going to have to stand before God and give an account for themselves. See, that last part is very important. Because every person will give an account to God. Turn back with me in Romans 14 where we're at. And notice with me in verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Notice this. To his own master he standeth and falleth. You understand? You have no business to tell someone else what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go to their master and find out what does their master want them to do. They have their own right and responsibility to go find out what their master wants them to do. Now this is important because that responsibility is a big deal. You need to find God's will for yourself. This is why we try to teach people. You need to read the Bible for yourself. This is why we teach you. You need to pray for yourself. We're trying to give you the tools. So you can find God's will for yourself. So you don't have to be dependent. On someone to tell you what God's will for your life is. Now we know in the Bible. I could show you what the Bible says. But you have to choose to believe it for yourself. You have to choose to find God's will for yourself. Someone can very rightly say, listen, I don't care what the Bible says. I believe my whatever I want. And they are fine. I cannot tell them what to do. Well, does that mean that anybody can believe however they want and go to heaven? No, 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 no. Knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. Because it's their own master that they're accountable to. You could believe whatever you want. In fact, someone said like this, life is like a buffet line. You could get whatever you want, but there's a cashier at the end. You have to pay for what you take. You have to pay for what you do. And so if you go to your master and find out what your master wants you to do, and you obey the master, the master is going to reward you. But if you say, you know, I don't care what he says, I'm going to do whatever I want. One day you're going to stand before that master and give an account for not doing what your master has told you to do. This is the idea of individual soul liberty. That means all I am as a Christian and as a preacher is a messenger boy. I deliver God's message. People have to believe what they want. And people make their choice to believe what they want. I cannot twist someone's arm and make them say a prayer. I can't twist somebody's arm and make them believe anything. That's not my job. My job is to give people information and they make their own decision based off the information given to them. This is the whole basis of individual soul liberty. Knowing that they're going to give an account to God. Notice as we go on in verse number 15 or number chapter 14 verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. And another esteem every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So now we go to a different subject. Holidays. There are some people who love Christmas. I mean, let's get the decorations. Let's do the thing. Let's gather the family. Let's turn down the lights. Put the fireplace. Let's read the scriptures together. Let's make it a big deal. This is family. You can't go anywhere. This is family. And it's a big deal. And then there's other people that says, you know, it's just another day. 
And the person who says, listen, it's Christmas, you heathen. It's the big deal. I don't go through the same ceremonies. Fine. Do people fight over silly stuff like that? Absolutely. The Bible says to be fully persuaded in thine own mind. Carrying the idea that you have to go to God for yourself. God, what would you like me and my household to do? And do that. And God doesn't direct us all the same. And it carries the idea here, individual soul liberty. You have the right and responsibility to go to God for yourself. Knowing that one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. And if somebody doesn't believe like you do, great. You know, just because someone believes differently doesn't mean they're wrong necessarily. And that we don't have to correct every little thing. They could go to God. They're going to stand before God. I am not their judge. Meaning, I'm not the one who's going to give them punishment. Amen. This is such an important doctrine. Now, verse number 6. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, still speaking about the holiday, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. And giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not. It's going back to that first argument of eating meat. Eateth not. To the Lord he eateth not. And giveth God thanks. So it's talking about each of those parties. Whether it's the holiday or dealing with food. They have to give their idea to God. God's the master they have to please. Not someone else. That's the responsibility. That's the right. And that I don't have any business forcing people to believe like I do. Now you say, well, what is our role in this? What do we do then? If I can't make someone believe like I do, but I know that they're heading to danger, what role do I have? Well, notice as we go on, verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. What we see here in verse 7 is that we don't live in a bubble. All of my actions affect someone else. If you're in the habit of writing down notes, I want you to write down this. We have influence. We have influence. What I need to do is because I don't live, myself, live my life to myself, I can't make someone believe what I do, but I can influence them. Why should anybody even care about what message I have? Because the influence that I have with someone. And we have to guard our influence. If we know that there are some people that are headed to a wrong. Let's say that there's someone who has never trusted Christ as their savior. I show up as a messenger. I would like to tell you about Jesus Christ. Why should they even listen to me? Because the influence that I have. They'll regard my message. And if I have no influence with that person. Or negative influence. Then they're not going to listen to my message. So therefore the only tool that we have. Is influence. I can't make people believe. But I can have them listen to the message I have. Because I've been building influence with them. This is why we have to work on our relationships. This is why we work on a testimony. This is why we even care about how we dress. Because it carries the idea of influence. And again, we could dive into this a deeper dive. I can't if we're going to get to the rest of the message here. But this is an important doctrine. Notice in verse 8. For whether we live, we live under the Lord. Whether we die, we, 
die unto the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Meaning that Jesus died on the cross so we could have access to God. Now we have the privilege and the responsibility to go to God for ourselves. So, so no man can tell us what we have to do, but... We know that we have influence. Notice it goes on. Verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we should all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account. This is that responsibility. Now again, we believe that Muslims can believe in Allah if they want to. But they're going to stand before God and give an account. Someone can believe, I don't have to go to church to be right with God. And they can believe that if they wish, knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. They are allowed to believe whatever they want. And by the way, it shouldn't hurt my feelings if they believe. One of the things that we have a problem with is if people believe differently than us, or we see them going in a different direction, we feel like we have to force them, slap them, convince them, take over for them. And we can't. Only thing we have is influence with people. But we have to use that influence wisely. Doesn't mean that we stand idly by, but we try to have relationships. We try to work with them so we can direct them the right way. But I do not have dominion over them because every one of us have to stand before God and give an account. Notice in verse 11. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then every one of us shall give an account to himself to God. And again, I'm putting that emphasis here that yes, we have the right and responsibility to find God for ourselves, knowing that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. This is such a big deal because we don't, we're, let me put it this way. God did not give us the liberty to sin. He gave us the liberty to choose to follow him. That's why he's given us free will in the first place. This is why he's given us individual soul liberty. He never intended for us to sin, but he wanted us to have the freedom to make the choice to serve him. What serves a master better? A servant that is forced to or a servant that chooses to? Well, of course, the servant that chooses to. God did not give us the liberty to sin. He gave us the liberty to choose to follow him. That's the whole purpose of individual soul liberty is that I want to find out what pleases my master because I want to please my master. And if somebody says, I don't care what the master says, they're allowed to do so knowing that they're going to stand before that master, and that master is going to give them an account. Now, this is a big deal. This helps us because now we don't have to freak out because people don't believe like we do. We don't have to feel the responsibility. I have to make them believe. I can't make anybody believe. That lightens the load off of me. But it also puts a responsibility on me of my influence. I need to influence people and give them a reason why they should take my message seriously. Now, because this is such an important doctrine, and may I also say that according to history, this has been a purely baptistic doctrine. What do I mean by that? That for the last uh, several centuries, 2,000 years, 
the Baptistic people have been the only ones who've consistently stayed with this doctrine. What do I mean by this? Well, when the Catholic Church began to emerge in 400 AD, they believed that they should convince people by the word and by the sword. That you either listen to our word or by the sword, we're going to force you to believe like us. And so thus we have 50 million people who were killed by the Catholic people during the Middle Ages who said, I believe that we should believe however we want. For example, a couple would have a brand new baby. Oh, look at the baby. The Catholic priest would come in with soldiers and say, listen, let us baptize your child. I'm sorry, we can't. We don't believe that that baptism saves them. Do it or we're going to kill you. No, we can't. And the family would be killed because they would not comply with the demands of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, of course, we know that as the Reformation came and the Protestant Reformation came, look, maybe there's some light. Here's Martin Luther. He nailed the, uh, the thesis, 95 thesis on the wall of Wittenberg. He said, listen, we don't agree with these things from the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church says, all right, fine, we're going to arrest you and kill you. And the princes hit him. And he began to put a doctrine called the liberty of conscience. Uh, conscience of liberty, which we agree with. It's a version of individual soul liberty. He said, listen, I don't believe the Catholics should tell us what to do. But then when they became powerful, they said, listen, Catholics shouldn't tell us what to do. But everyone else should listen to us. So much to the same that the Lutherans began to persecute the Baptist people. And it got to the place where Martin Luther, when he died, he said, kill as many Baptists and as many Jews as you possibly could. Hitler loved to quote Luther. He said, listen, German people, if you want to truly revere Martin Luther, you need to do what he says. And you know what he said? He said, here, kill Jews. You know what he said? He killed Jews. And so he taught the German people to follow Martin Luther and violate this idea of individual soul liberty. That people have the right to believe whatever they want. And so we could see this, this doctrine was fought for. And yet it happened over and over. Here are the Puritans. Here are the pilgrims who escaped the Church of England. At that time the Church of England had what was called the Covenical Law. That said you have to go to our official church on Sundays or go to jail. And the Puritans said, we believe we should worship however we want. And we would agree with them. And so the Puritans came. The pilgrims came. And they established colonies on American soil. Then they said, guess what? You have to believe what we believe or we kill you. And so Obadiah Holmes, the first person to have his blood shed on American soil for the, the purpose of religious freedom. And it went on. You had a man by the name of Roger Williams who arrived at a Puritan village and was offered to be the pastor of the church. But he refused because the church was marred with the state. What does that mean? That what happened is that in order to be part of the official ruling body of that colony, you also had to be a part of the church. And that... that um, they had a marriage of church and state. And that if you didn't obey the church, then the state would force you to believe. 
And so Roger Williams says, I can't do that. That violates individual soul liberty. It violates what the Bible says. We can't force people to go to church. We can't force people to believe in Christ. We can't force people to believe like we do. That's against everything. People have the right, the freedom to follow after God by their own choice, knowing that they're going to stand before God. All we have is influence. In fact, part of that congregation at that time said that everybody in our colony has to be taxed and that tax money is how we fund our church. Roger Williams says no it should be a free will offering. People should voluntarily give to the church and allow God to bless it. So when he didn't agree with them instead of letting them be the pastor they threatened to kill him. And so he ran and set up the colony of Rhode Island and set up the Providence or the settlement of Providence and says, listen, we're going to be a colony who believes in individual soul liberty. And we're going to be one where people can choose to believe whatever they want. All we have is influence, knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. And Roger Williams established the first Baptist church in the new world. Now, Roger Williams believed in religious freedom. He believed it didn't just apply to Christians, but it also applied to the Indians. Meaning that he didn't believe that we should force the Indians to believe in Christ. But he did believe in influence, so he took the time to learn the Indian languages. He even wrote a dictionary in the Indian language. And the first Bible printed in America was printed in the Indian language so they could read it for themselves and choose God for themselves and not be forced to by the point of a sword. He wanted them to have a true conversion to Christ. And so he worked with them, not trying to westernize them, not trying to make them more English, but bringing them to the place where they accepted Christ on their own by their own choice and not because they were forced to, using the idea of influence. And it was because of the writings of Roger Williams, it influenced our founding father's belief and they were inspired by his writings of individual soul liberty. You could definitely see even in the verbiage and the defenses that Roger Williams had that show up in the documents of our nation dealing with individual soul liberty. Now, of course, Roger Williams was inspired by himself by a pamphlet produced by a group of anonymous Baptists who were imprisoned in Newgate Prison in England in 1620. This is the quote. Its authors were denied ink and paper, but some friends who supplied them with milk put paper instead of corks in the bottle, and the milk was used instead of ink. The writings afterwards were held to the fire, and it became legible in visible ink. Um, Where they wrote their arguments in milk and answered them in blood. Because the Church of England said, listen, you're going to believe like we do and you're going to go to our churches or else. And they chose the or else and went to prison. And Roger Williams was influenced by these writings of individual soul liberty. So much that it cost him something when he came here. And he was persecuted for it, even in the new world. But yet he established a colony based off of that idea of individual soul liberty. Now this continued to spread some more. As history went on and the revival started to happen through the first great awakening. The baptistic people in the colonies began to multiply. And they developed a great 
influence upon the people before the Revolutionary War. During the Revolutionary War, it was Baptist pastors that would preach the message of religious liberty and individual soul liberty to their congregations and said, we have to stand for this. Every man has the right to stand before God and seek God on their own, knowing that one day they're going to stand before God in account. And they would fire up the people for the purpose of religious liberty. And then the Baptist pastors would lead their own congregations as troops inside of the Revolutionary War. It was Baptist chaplains like John Gano, who was George Washington's uh, personal chaplain, who actually baptized him inside of a river, uh, leading George Washington to the Lord, that helped directly Uh, Helped the troops directly in there. George Washington wrote so much about the chaplains. Especially the Baptist ones. How they were the ones that would point people. The troops to the Lord. And they would pray and lead people to the Lord. And they had a great influence over the troops. And the founding fathers. After the war the Baptist peoples continue. To influence the beginning of government. Thomas Jefferson before he was president. As he was uh, one of the big people to help uh, design our government. Thomas Jefferson and some of the founding fathers went to a Baptist church and they said, this is amazing. The Baptistic people voted in their pastor and then willfully submitted themselves under his authority. That's how our government should work. And thus we have a thing where we vote in a leader and then we're supposed to willingly submit to that leadership. That came from the idea of a Baptistic church. Even our church like, works like this. We don't have a board or committee that assigns a pastor or removes a pastor. In fact, how did I become the pastor of the Riverview Baptist Church? The people sought God and tried to find God's will and then voted me in and then willfully submit afterwards. That's how it is supposed to work. And that's how it influenced it. Even the person who influenced the idea of God we trust our money was influenced by a Baptist pastor. Why is that a big deal? Well before this people were used to a church state government. And that they were used to being taxed and their money would be given to the government. The government then would distribute the money to the churches and that's how the churches were founded. The Baptistic people said no! Absolutely not! And the Congregationists and the Anglicans and the Episcopalians and the Catholics looked at them and said, what are you talking about? It's how it's always been done. How about this? The people willfully give to their local churches and we expect God to supply as it said in the Bible. And it was because of their influence. Without that influence, we'd be paying taxes that would be used to keep churches open right now. But it was because of the influence that these people had. Which brings us to the segment we want to spend the rest of the time on, the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights. Now, we've already been explaining this doctrine and how the Baptistic people have been influencing people. Remember, that's the only tool we have is influence. They can't twist people's arm. But they did believe that everyone has the right and responsibility to find God's will for themselves. Knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. Now, as the Revolutionary War closed and we set up the government of the Articles of Confederation, it was very apparent that the Articles of Confederation, uh, that first government, was not going to stand. It was flawed from the beginning. It was too much of a knee-jerk reaction from England. And so as they began to set up the Constitution, they started to put in the theme of individual soul liberty within the Constitution. And you could see that in the verbiage, how it matched a lot of Roger Williams' early writings. And how they had the idea that we should limit the government. Why? 
So that way the people have the freedom to seek after God for themselves and find out what they should do, knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. Now, as the 13 colonies now states, we're now voting in this constitution, there was a big hang-up. There was no Bill of Rights. And in Virginia was a big block of Baptist people. And people were looking towards Virginia to give a yay or nay. If Virginia said, no, we're not voting in the Constitution, we'd have no Constitution. If Virginia said yes, then the rest of the colonies would fall into fall into order. But it was based off Virginia. Now, Virginia's representative was originally James Madison, by the way, who was the father of the Constitution. So the man who wrote the Constitution and penned it, he was from Virginia. But they had to vote in who they were going to represent to vote Yes, in the Constitution. And James Madison's seat was not secure. His next door neighbor was a Baptist pastor by the name of John Leland. And John Leland was one of the biggest influences of Virginia dealing with the idea of individual soul liberty. And James Madison had met with him and said, what can we do to get on the same page? What can we do to allow the people to ratify this Constitution? And James Leland said, listen, We are not fond of any document of government that does not guarantee the rights of its people. We want in writing that our rights will be protected from a government in case the government ever becomes abusive. Please give us this. And so they actually worked on 12 amendments. 10 of them made it. But these were later called the Bill of Rights. And as soon as they were guaranteed to be placed in the Constitution, James Leland and the rest of the Baptists said, fine, we can do. Now, the Bill of Rights are important because each one of them give a protection of the freedoms of the individuals to make sure they have the right and responsibility to seek God for themselves, knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. And that we can't make people believe the way that we ought to. All we can do is influence them. And we need to protect that influence through the freedom of press, the freedom of speech, the freedom of expression, the freedom to assemble together. So we can influence people to point towards God. That's the only tool that we have. And that the government cannot infringe in these rights. Again, this Bill of Rights is an extension of this biblical doctrine. Again, what is the First Amendment to the Constitution? It says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. Now I pause there. By the time the Constitution was ratified, nine out of the 13 colonies already had a state church. Meaning that nine out of the 13 colonies said, listen, this is the church of Connecticut. This is the church of Delaware. And that they were already planning on having everyone in Delaware be a member of this church or everywhere in Connecticut. And so this is why the Bill of Rights was so important. Listen, the government cannot endorse or force people to go to a specific church. We need to have this in writing. And this is important. The government cannot tell you what church to go to or what church not to go to. The Congress shall make no law as respecting the establishment of religion or the prohibition of the free exercise thereof. According to the Constitution, the government cannot tell people you cannot go to church. That is against the Constitution. The government cannot. And by the way, even in the part of emergency, this cannot be rescinded. 
It's against the Constitution. Remember, the Constitution doesn't give the government rights. It limits the rights of the government, especially in emergencies, that they cannot take away these rights. Congress should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibition of the free exercise or the abridging of the freedom of speech. Meaning that carries the idea that if my freedom of speech does not infringe on someone else's rights, I have the freedom to declare what I believe to be true. I have that freedom. And of course, this freedom is being eroded very quickly. It already has laws being passed that says if I say certain things from the Bible, I am guilty of violating it. There's already laws out there. What I'm trying to, we're going to get to a conclusion here in a bit, but we're just seeing what the Bible or what the Constitution says, knowing it's an extension of individual soul liberty, that there should be uh, uh, no prohibiting of the press, meaning the idea that I have the freedom to print what I believe to be true. To put down. I have the freedom of press to express my sincerely held beliefs. The right of the people to peaceably assemble that that right cannot be infringed on. We have the right to freely assemble. Granted that we're not doing harm. We're not blowing up buildings. We have the right to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Meaning we have every right to go to the government and says we don't agree with this. That's part of our rights of the first constitution. Now also may I also imply that there is nowhere in any of the original documents of our country. That ever states the separation of church and state. That's something that's big nowadays. But that's not found in the Constitution. It's not found in the Declaration of Independence. It's not found anywhere in the original documents. Where is it found? It's found in a personal letter from President Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Church that says, listen, we're going to have the separation of church and states, meaning the government will never impinge on your right to meet together. I'm giving a guarantee. It's not saying that Christians can't be in government. In fact, it was expected. After the Constitution was ratified, someone went to uh, Benjamin Franklin and said, what government did you give us? And he said, a republic as long as you can keep it. What did he mean by that? Well, our country, the way that it is founded, is founded on the principle of individual soul liberty, that we have the freedom to go to God and find out what is right and wrong for ourselves from God, knowing that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. But this country only works when we have a moral compass, when we are a good and moral country. When we no longer are a good and moral country, those freedoms are easy to be abused by others, which is one of the big criticisms of our country today. We have the freedoms because it's trying to protect us so we can seek for God. But when people are no longer good, they take advantage of those freedoms and hurt other people. And so what people want instead is they want a dictatorship of some sort, some way. They want the government to be able to limit our freedoms so they can't be abused. Where that sounds good with the idea that we don't want people to go crazy, but it is horrible for this doctrine, because we believe that we have the right to believe whatever we want, knowing one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. Which brings us to today. We celebrate our country because of the freedoms that we have. But what happens when our country 
no longer believes in these same freedoms. You see, what is happening today that, of course, we got some people who hate our country. Yes, sure, we understand that. But what is happening today is that we have the worship of our country to the neglect of the worship of God. We have to beware that we stand with God. And if our country impinges on these freedoms, we need to stick with the Bible. To bring up another thing of history, Adolf Hitler taught the German people that in order to be a good Christian, you must be a good German. So therefore, you do whatever the German government tells you, and you're going to be a good Christian. And this is why the people allowed so many atrocities to happen. Because he convinced them that you have to be loyal to your nation in order to be a loyal Christian. Of course, people didn't know what it was to be a Christian in the first place. And you did have some people like Bonhoeffer and other people a little bit too late and a little too few to make a difference. But most people followed suit. I love our country and I pray for our country and I want revival. But if our country gets to the place where it violates individual soul liberty and gets to the place where it says, you have to believe this, you can't go to this church, you can't read this Bible, you can't, then we understand we're in a country once again where we once may have to stand for our rights. Now, I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm just saying that there may be a price to pay. For example, there was a man by the name of John Bunyan, a Baptist preacher in England in the 1600s. And once again, the covenical law said that you must go to uh, a, the Anglican church or you go to jail. John Bunyan was a Baptist preacher who was arrested. And they said, listen, we want to give you grace. We know that you have a small congregation. We'll let you go free as long as you sign in a document that you'll never meet together again. Well, I can't do that. God has called me to be the pastor of these Baptist people. I have to meet together. And the judge said, listen, I'm trying to go over there. How about this? We allow certain, uh, certain um, exceptions. Why don't you go to the government and get this exception? And the government will grant you the freedom to go ahead and meet uh, together. And he says, I can't do that either because God grants my freedoms, not the government. And he says, listen, I know you've got a blind daughter. I'm going the extra mile. You understand what a horrible world it would be if we allowed atheists to believe like atheists and we allowed Muslims to be like Muslims? He says, they have the right to believe that. What do you mean they have the right to believe that? Well, they do. They know that one day they're going to stand before God. Listen, I can't. Listen, you're going to jail. And I think it was for 18 years. That number may be off. He was thrown into prison just because of the purpose of individual soul liberty. By the way, while he was in prison, he wrote the classic Pilgrim's Progress. Which again was another treatise on individual soul liberty. You understand, our country today was founded on this principle. So much that most people give a lip service to it. We would have a totally different America if it wasn't for this doctrine. But we understand that this doctrine is rare. Most countries don't have it. And it's going to fall apart soon because we've lost our influence as peoples. We no longer influence people for righteousness. And so therefore people are no longer righteous. We've lost our influence of morality. And so therefore people are no longer moral. And because we live in an unrighteous, immoral society, we now have where our freedoms are being taken advantage of. And people cannot tolerate freedoms being taken advantage of. And so the next thing will come would be a limiting of these freedoms. 
One day, once again, it may come to the time where your pastor has to go to jail because we're meeting church illegally. It may come to the place where your pastor goes to jail because he preaches the Bible freely when the government says he can no longer do so. It may come to the time where you may suffer a price because you own a Bible, because you attend a church that's not approved and not regulated by the government. When those times come, we have to know what this doctrine means and how important it is. And know that the only tool that we have is we can't force people to believe, but we have influence. Now's the time to start using our influence and guarding it wisely to encourage people to look up to God, knowing that we have the right and the responsibility to go to God for ourselves to find what his will is. Also knowing that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for what we believe. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.